0: All right, this week we did something a little different. We talked to Max. Max is a carnival kid. Well, was a carnival kid, grew up in a carnival. I suspect instead of his dad putting him in the truck to drive around when he got up at e when he was a baby, they brought him, probably put him on a carousel or a Ferris wheel. Wouldn't surprise me. But he's got some really cool, interesting stories, and he traveled the country. And he saw the country in a way that most of us will never see. And, uh, I talked to him for quite a while, so I'm going to make this into like, I don't know, four or five parts, about a half hour long each. It was, a uh, really interesting, you know, talk. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, for what it's worth, really, I probably could have talked to him for a long time. He's a very interesting man. He does, uh, well, he does a podcast. He's written a bunch of books, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. So, you know, check him out. You can find him at the blind blogger. That's one place. And he also sells amusement rides. Yeah, Max is retired, and he sells, you know, he brokers uh, Ferris wheels and, you know, whatever you can imagine, so, I don't know, it's kind of interesting. So, I don't know, let's get on with the show. Alright, here we go. I'd like to introduce you to Max, a new friend. I'll talk, I'll talk to you in just a bit,
1: Expand your mind on the open road with kingfish right here. I'm glad to see it's not just the blind guy who wonders.
0: Oh, there it goes. okay, clicked I, I've only used this a couple of times. Primarily uh, what I do is you know the trucking thing and then I do the podcast thing just for fun and it helps me what I like about it is I get to talk to people like you from across you know across the world now Max and we're talking to Max today Max has, uh, a hidden world that I'm that I want to explore and then hopefully he's going to tell me how to win the thing with the bottles <laughs> where you drop the string and then lift them up now if there's a secret to that so I can get my wife a teddy bear I'm hoping Max will square it with me and and I'm um, you know maybe we won't share it with you people You'll have don't, to write
1: in. don't play
0: oh is that the is that the way to do it
1: yeah there are certain games on a midway that the only way you're going to win is when the is when the operator decides you've spent enough money that you have bought the teddy bear
0: Oh, that's hilarious. So
1: There aren't aren't many of those games left, though, because basically what's happened is it's just like every other business is worried about their public image. For the most part, the carnival business is worried about its public image, and those types of games do not inspire confidence in people who come to your Midway and want to spend money. And when a new Ferris wheel can cost you over a million dollars, you need everybody that's in a town to come to the Midway and spend money and spend lots of it. So... Uh, those types of games for the most part with the exception of, of the small you know uh, family-owned shows that maybe have 10 rides those sorts of games have pretty much gone away because they they bring heat they bring bad publicity they cost you event dates and they discourage people from having confidence in spending money on your midway but if you see that particular game on the midway i would advise not to play it I don't think gonna I see s- that game, but if you do,
0: I think I saw once. Maybe it was an NPR story about how they they would have. Ins- I think it was like New York or something. They'd have inspectors come out. They'd like measure everything, and they'd make like they'd measure the holes where you know where you got to throw the ball in, and you know the holes have to be a certain size, the ball has to be a certain size, things like that.
1: There are certain states where they do have a game inspector. For the most part, in most states most midway games are by rule illegal but as long as it's done in the effort of supporting local events and you know the, trust me there are thousands of events events across the country that where the organization that puts on those events is only able to pursue their their agendas by raising money by having a carnival so a lot of times as long as as long as everybody shows restraint and good sense, um, people will just accept that it's part of having a carnival. But in most of the ordinances where it talks about games, even a game of skill where there's a chance you could lose is still technically illegal in most places. It's just one of those things. It's a difference between the, the the rule that was written and the people who enforce it. So uh, but from my experience, like I say, um, When I grew up, when I was a kid, there were lots of games on the midway where um, us kids stayed away from them when they were open because, you know, you just you just knew they were the way they were. And then uh, nowadays, most all of that stuff is gone by the wayside because it just costs you money. And uh, like I say, a new Ferris wheel is a million dollar plus investment. And that's if we're talking a small one of, say, under 100 feet. Wow. So uh, how long,
0: how long, how long were you in the, the carnival business actively?
1: Well, my, my grandfather started the carnival in the fifties. My grandmother was still running the midway in her seventies and which was in the late seventies, early eighties. Um, I started out at five working in her cotton candy wagon, putting the butter on popcorn and the syrup on the snow cones. And doing other uh, menial, distasteful jobs, so that the food trailer would be ready to open, and so that Max wouldn't uh, wouldn't get into any trouble or be in danger of of you know being hurt or or bullied by the people from the town, because the the belief was, as long as Max is in the trailer with us working, nothing bad can happen to it. So uh, as I got a little older, I worked games. I primarily would work a duck pond where they pick up the ducks and the numbers on the bottom tell us what they win. And uh, in the 90s, when I started owning my own games instead of working for other people, I had what was called a build-up duck pond, which I talk about in my latest book, The Blind Blogger's First Speaking and Signing Adventures, How You Can Conquer Your Dreams, Conquer Your Fears. And I uh, I talk about that because I happened to meet one of the one of my my favorite people who I traveled with back in the day. Um, My duck pond, because I was blind, didn't have a, it didn't have one, one duck in it that would win you the choice prize, which was the only game on our midway that was that way. And it was done that way because the truth was, we knew that there were going to be some people who would cheat, who would turn over the ducks and look at the numbers while I'm standing there not realizing they're doing that. And so the idea was to find a middle ground between Uh, giving away a big stuffed animal for every dollar spent and having everybody win a, you know, a 15 cent yo-yo. So we had a build up duck pond. The numbers would add up to where people would win good prizes. They just might have to play two or three or four times to get them. And nobody ever complained. And in fact, quite often the people from the committees that organized the events we would set up at would come and play my game with their grandkids or uh, police officers and their kids would play my game so it worked out really well there was you know we we threw stock which basically means we gave away uh a good enough percentage of prizes that people actually wanted to take home with them that nobody ever complained about my duck pond not having a choice duck in it where they would win their choice so i did duck pond uh in the 90s 2000s when my dad was alive i also did the bookings which means I spent a lot of my time calling people up and asking them if they wanted to book our carnival for their event or if they would let us set up our carnival on their shopping center. And since we had a seven-ride carnival, eight rides sometimes in the state of Texas where most people had 15 or 20 or more and everybody had at least one ride scarier than our entire Midway, I got told no a lot and my dad would just he would say, you know, Max, if you don't ask the next person, they can't say yes. So stop complaining about it and dial the next number. So I, did the
0: <laughs> book.
1: so I did the bookings, which has really helped me later in my life as a podcaster and a blogger, because a lot of times I've gotten opportunities because I have asked for them or I've asked for help when other people wouldn't. And, you know, that has really resulted in my moving forward a lot quicker than I would have if I were a lot of people and were afraid of asking for stuff. I uh, also helped set up and take down rides some of the time. And uh, in 2003, my dad passed away to lung cancer. By 2007, our carnival was out of business and we were working with my uncle's carnival. Uh, I was not really happy being on his midway. Booking events is a really personal thing. You have a, you have a lot of information about the Midway that most show owners don't want somebody other than the family knowing. So I wasn't invited to help with the bookings. My games weren't really making a a lot of money. And for the, for the last year or so, my mom was having to take money out of her food trailer and pay for the stock in my, in my last game that I still had going. So eventually I started the uh, Midway marketplace where I help people sell surplus rides and games. It uh, also is a place where people can find, important links about the amusement industry. And with the help of my brother, we even do appraisals. And I've got a really cool story about an appraisal. I'll tell you later because I think it was really weird how um, somebody took the word of the blind carnival uh, equipment seller in order to to, uh, conclude a bank loan. So I'll tell you about that a little later. But I wasn't really happy with my uncle's show. And eventually I started the website and When I started the website, I really didn't have the first clue about, you know, being online or being in business for myself outside of a carnival. I had to learn a whole bunch of things. The first thing I had to learn was how to hand code HTML, which is something most people don't have to do anymore because most people use WordPress or GoDaddy or Wix or something where they get to use a a very simple editor, but I didn't have that option because I was blind. So I had to learn how to hand code HTML, recruit clients, set fees, managed media. Eventually Facebook and other social media came along. I had to figure out how to use those, Uh, built an email list, uh, started a blog, recorded videos. So basically every time I would get to where I thought I was doing pretty good with the website, somebody would come along and go, you know, Max, you really need to have this. Or I would realize that people's equipment would sell better if we could get more photos or videos. And just basically kept doing the next thing that came along the way from starting the Midway Marketplace. And thankfully, people started telling me that I was inspiring, that they appreciated how I took on difficult challenges with joy and how I really didn't let anything get in my way. They encouraged me to share more of my experiences as a blind entrepreneur or to make some of my other friends online happy, to share my experiences as an entrepreneur who happens to be blind. And that led to the blind blogger. I was later challenged to write my first book, which was the blind bloggers, the, which is leading you out of the darkness into the light of blind man's inspirational guide to success, which came out in January of 14. Written three books since then traveled the country solo, uh, done public speaking, been on a bunch of podcasts, gotten other people booked on a bunch of podcasts. Uh, I sing in public when I get the opportunity and eventually I would start my own podcast called what's your excuse. So Probably a long answer from where we started in this original question, which, by the way, I don't remember what the original question was, but this is <laughs> this is how a guy who grew up in a carnival ends up starting an equipment brokering website and then eventually ends up a speaker, author, coach, and uh, publicist. That's that's how I got from there to here. And one thing, if, if you'll notice, very little of this did I plan on or strategize about or think, I got to do this. A, B, C, D, E. No, most of it was just people would make suggestions or they would challenge me. Or in the case of my first book, somebody double dog dared me to write a book and I really had no choice, but to at least try to write it and great things have happened as a result. So I like to say one of the best things can happen to you is to have a good friend who will ask you to do stuff that you don't like or that you're scared of, but you, ha- you can't tell him no because they're that good a friend.
0: Well, you know, the thing is, um, you answered about ten of my questions. Oh, I'm sorry. So, okay, I was just sitting there knocking them off one at a time. <laughs> you With know, people need to realize. Oh no, it's perfect. So the yeah, the carnival guy. You know, a carnival guy is going to be able to talk. So the big thing is, you were born in the carnival, traveled in the carnival as a kid. You literally—that's how you grew up. Now you like you said you you sell carnival rides and people people don't understand is when Max says he sells carnival rides, he's talking about the trains. He's talking about carousels, and they're all over the world.
1: Yep, except Antarctica. These
0: things are still all over the world because you're not gonna yeah because you're not gonna transport these things to a site and say oh look here's my store because these things are huge <laughs> and so if you want you know if you if you want a carousel or you want a Ferris wheel or a zipper or a train or maybe a, a a bunk car i think i saw a bunk car a trailer on your on your site yeah you, know, you want you know a stage you want a stage you want a portable stage that moves then you want to go to max's site because he if he doesn't have it on there he can tell you probably where to get it
1: yeah yeah and my very first important sale was a guy from australia of all things got a hold of me and said uh mr ivy when I was a kid, I rode this ride called the Astro Liner, which is a simulator uh, before we had simulators. And he said, I've always wanted one of those. Can you find me one? And I thought, well, what the heck? It sounds like a fun challenge. I ended up finding him one in Kansas, but it wasn't just any of the 80-something Astroliners that Wisdom Manufacturing built in the 70s. It was what's called a Jules Verne Astroliner. It was one of only four that they ever built it was a huge piece of equipment that fit on a 53-foot semi uh, with, you know it looked something like the, something like a small version of the space shuttle, and it would raise up and rotate back and forth and tilt on its sides like a boat. And inside they'd play a video. And you know, I, I got him together with the owner who lived in Kansas. The owner got together with a shipping company who took the, the, the ride from Kansas to Long Beach, California. They put it on a ship and it ended up in Australia. Now Australia has tougher rules on importing rides than we do on operating them here. So it was a year later before the ride was actually in operation. The guy spent 50,000 for the ride. He spent 50,000 for the import costs. He spent $150,000 to get it operable. Um, He, he ran it at fairs in Australia for three years and never got close to getting his money back out of it. And he finally sold it. And, to me, to borrow the old Paul Harvey expression, the best part of this story is the rest of the story because he sold it to an adult-themed amusement park in Australia. A the place is called Triple X something. If that gives you an idea what I mean by adult, oh um, no, they repainted the thing flesh colors and it now looks like what you think it looks like flying through the air. Okay, and I oh, have no. pictures. Of, I have pictures of its eventual end up place. But I can't post them on my website. I'm sorry, uh, but it was, it was, it was a great thing because I mean, if you're starting a business and your idea is you're going to help people buy and sell rides, you're thinking, well, maybe I'll get, maybe I'll, I'll find a ride in in Houston, Texas, and it'll go to, it'll go to Chicago or Miami or something. When your first big sale goes from from Lawrence, Kansas to to Sydney, Australia, you know, it's gone across two continents and you get a check in the mail that's actually good. And you put it in your bank and you got money. That's just, you know, total proof that what you're doing actually could work. And one of my favorite sales ever, and I'm, I'm still in, I'm still in touch with the, the guy who bought it, uh, Dave from Australia. And he says, if I ever get down there, he's taking me for a ride in his airplane.
0: Well, you know, the thing about, uh, is uh, these rides, because a lot of them have been around like the trains and the ferris wheels of course and the merry-go-rounds is these things have a history i mean literally you're preserving history you know if you think about it
1: yeah you are i mean some of these rides are no longer manufactured Uh, a lot of the companies are out of the business and some of the big pieces like uh like the twister one of the big pieces from the 70s you never see anymore because it takes like three semis to move one of those and my brother used to say it took three semis and everybody doing the work had to have a truss. That's a device men use to, to help them avoid hernias if that reference is lost on people listening to us. Uh, so some of that old stuff. Yeah. It, um, you know, like I know you mentioned the train on my website because you like that train. Uh, that's a Casey Jones train. It came out of the Liberty Land Amusement Park in Memphis, Tennessee. Elvis and his family, Allegedly rode that train, I have to say allegedly, because we've yet to find any photographic proof that his family rode that train. and if if I say that they did and they didn't, somebody will sue me. I can bet money on that. so um, but that ride was the last train built by the Allen Herschel company in new York New York State. They actually relocated from the New York area to the Buffalo area, hoping to save costs by moving their manufacturing center. And that was the last Alan Herschel. uh, That was the last uh, Casey Jones train that rolled off the factory. And when it left, um, we were able to find we were able to find the uh, the plate number on the bottom of the engine. Somebody had to crawl underneath the engine to find the proof. Uh, After that train was built, Chance Rides in Kansas bought them out and did away with the did away with the Casey Jones train even though it was bigger, it was stronger, it had had more pulling capacity than the Chance train. But Chance basically bought Alan Herschel and put them out of business because they didn't want to have a competitor in the park train industry. So you're right, yeah, we're preserving history. That train is now at a, (laughs) believe this or not, there's a woman in in Columbia, South Carolina that has a, um, what's called an agritourism business. She raises horses and puts on horse shows and she also has some rides. And so she has refurbished that old train that's in her parking in in, Cal- in uh, South Carolina now. Be- and uh, but, yeah, you're right. We're preserving history. Anytime we can keep one of those old rides from being put a- being sold on a scale for scrap, um, we're, co- we're keeping the history of the industry. And I've never really thought about it like that. I always thought about it like, man, I need to sell this ride because I need to pay the rent this month, you know.
0: Well, that's because you're. I, I'm looking at it from a from the romantic point of view of the thing. It to me, like you look at an old carousel, like like an old carousel, especially the 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 detail work, the 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 carving of the horses, you know, all that stuff is very you know very detail oriented. It's, it's just beautiful. You look at things that are you know I, I can't think of you know any Ferris wheel I've seen recently, but everything's all plastic. You know, but you know the, the old wood horses, the pulls. I mean, the, these things are beautiful. You don't see that kind of work anymore.
1: No, no. And occasionally, you'll see an old tilt world that still has the wooden platforms. Uh, that had the old clown-shaped cars. You know, occasionally you. More often, though, you see the history in the trains and the carousels. Those seem to hold up the longest, and they, you know, they have the most use to them. So that's probably why they last the longest. And one of my real regrets was that, due to weather, I was not able to visit the uh, the carousel in Central Park when I was in New York City. Either time that I've been there, I really wished I really wanted to see that carousel. Um, you know, because it is does have a, it does have a history, and it's kind of like an icon of the entire of that entire type of ride. So, uh, but I've Where been when did looking, they
0: put that in? When was that installed? Do
1: you know? I want to say it's, it goes back to the 20s. It's been refurbished. Uh, it's, it's it's one of the few carousels that has the brass ring mechanism, so it has to go back to at least the twenties.
0: I've seen it in movies, but that's about it. But to the, the tell you something that you might find you might be a little surprised about, Frederick Law Olmsted was the man who designed Central Park. Okay, that he's like a he's like a great great grandfather of mine. My grandmother was an Olmsted. be darn! So I, yeah, so I have a well you know not a connection to it the funny thing about it was is that I used to be a landscaper in California and I knew nothing of this stuff you know maybe I would have been a better landscaper if I would have realized my you know one of my relatives was the premier landscaper <laughs> in America but at the time I had no idea you know literally no idea you know I didn't find out to the you know till I did the ancestry thing and then I was like oh wow really we I thought we were we're actually creative and we actually did something once i had no idea
1: yeah, you know
0: yeah when you know uh that it's been done before by someone in your family you know then it, it gives you you know that step to step up whereas i never even thought about it but i just thought that was kind of funny but i would love to uh you know there's nothing like riding you know you get on a carous- carousel with your girl and going around and yeah, with the music going. There's nothing like it.
1: Yeah. Um one of the real iconic pieces of amusement history was actually scrapped by Kennywood about 10 years ago now. And the the North American Dark Ride and Funhouse Association, the guy who heads that organization, he's still mad. Um have you ever heard of a Pretzel Dark Ride? No. Okay. In the very early days of the amusement park, somebody wanted to create a ride-through fun house, you know, kind of like the spook houses where you'd go in a car and you'd be in the dark. And well, the first inventor, the first guy to come up with a way to do that, he designed the track so that the track would loop back over itself and further disorient the riders. So they didn't know where they were at in the house because they're always turning different directions. And if you looked at the track without the cars and with the lights on, it looked like a huge collection of pretzels. So that particular style of ride is referred to as a pretzel dark ride. There was only a, there's, that was supposedly the last one in existence, the one at Kennywood that was uh, like I say put through the scrap pile. and every so often people get in a hurry to get rid of used rides. And that's what happens to them. And, Uh, I've been lucky. I've been very fortunate to be responsible for finding new homes for quite a few really old, you know, hard to place pieces of equipment. And in in fact, in the early days, my youngest brother, Patrick used to refer to my, my Midway marketplace site. He used to say, Max, you should just start calling it the Isle of misfit rides. And when the website loads, he said, and when the website loads, it needs to play the theme from Sanford and son.
0: You know, I love that. I I, I love that idea because, you know, it's the truth. It's these things that we've grown up with, you know, our whole lives. And it's it's you don't see it as often as you used to, you know, and it's it's, you know, they they're they're going. They're becoming museum pieces now and rightfully so, because I mean, it's just there's just something magical about these things.
1: Yeah, and thankfully there are people who are wanting to collect them. We have uh, city and county uh, uh, governments that are starting to buy older rides so that they can make sure that they have carnivals for their for their events. Um, and like I think two or three years ago, I sold two rides to a fair board in in Kansas because. Uh, they wanted to make sure that they would always be able to have rides. And they're, they're, you know, they're concerned that some of the smaller shows going out of business means they won't be able to. So they bought a they bought a Ferris wheel and they bought a Tilt-A-Whirl from, from my website. And they're continuing to add to their midway. There's a Lions Club in Orange, Texas that owns about 15 rides. And they set them up two weeks out of the year every year. And, of course, they make a lot of money with their rides because – they don't have to pay any of the help, all the prizes and food are donated, and they don't have to pay any taxes or any income tax. So they, their organization makes a lot of money with their carnival. Uh, I'm told they even have an agreement with the county where most of the labor is done by people who need to work time off on their incarcerations. So oh,
0: that's fantastic. Well, like so, here in Wisconsin, I'm in Wisconsin and we were talking earlier, before we started recording and we have this place up in green bay called bay beach and i know you got some stories about that but the thing is is that it's when i was younger i was going through the divorce i was broke literally had no money cuz the you know she just she was crazy it's you know it, in a bad way and spent a lot of money you know just a lot of money she left me she left with all the money and get left me all the bills so when i would pick up justin he was you know 8 or 9 we'd go up to bay beach I could buy a ticket for like, I think it was like five cents or 10 cents and the city owned all the rides and they had, you know, bumper cars, they had the big slide, love the big slide. It's one of my favorites. And you know, they had all that, they had a lot of that kind of stuff and you could ride it you could go, you get 10 bucks and you could spend the whole day there. And the city was, the city didn't get enough carnivals up there to, to tour because it was so cold during the winter, but they did this. And it was yeah. just fantastic in the city. Right, and you have a story about the the uh, the roller coaster there, don't you?
1: Well, it's it's I'm I'm only tangentially uh, associated with that coaster because I didn't actually sell it, but I did I did sell the train that was out of the same park that was it was from, and uh, I have had you know I've I've followed its progress from from Memphis to Green Bay and their efforts to relocate the 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 one missing car that's still out there somewhere. The, the the difference is is that while that coaster was sold quickly they had pictures of Elvis riding that ride we could never find pictures of Elvis or Priscilla or, or uh, his daughter riding the, the uh, train but yeah it was it's been amazing how that particular one ride has basically uh you know just changed the changed the economy the 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 tax, you know, the tax income structure of that of that park or that that part of the city, because that people are coming from all over the country to ride that coaster is just it's just crazy the way that happens sometimes where people fall in love with the rides. And then you were talking about how all the rides were a nickel, you know, at one time in this country, um, your insurance would not have been in effect if you gave rides away for free. So a lot of times, if an op, if a show owner wanted to do free rides, they had to charge you a nickel.
0: The insurance wouldn't be effective. The insurance if you, wouldn't be you effective if
1: you gave away the rides. If you gave away admission on the rides, then your insurance wouldn't be in effect.
0: Why? Why is that, Max? I, I don't. I, I can't.
1: I, I, can't. Did, I never understood it, but it was but it was the rule for a long time. Then that. I guess the idea is is that if people are getting the rides for free they're going to be less cautious and you're going to have more accidents is all i could ever figure
0: well i just it i i can't think of one reason why that would be you know a thing that's kind of funny but the city up there they do a great job and like you said they bring in the kids the local kids and the yeah. local kids you know the, the teenagers they run everything and then you know and then there's a bunch of retired people also and it's great because it gives them a summer it gives the kids summer jobs it's safe it preserves these rides because a lot of them like you said might have been scrapped over the years and they're yeah. maintained and i would imagine and this is the, i i just thought of this mac now you were talking earlier about all these things need to move and it takes a lot to move these things so because they're in the beach and they never move it's probably going to be a lot easier to maintain you know if I they have a,
1: if, if they have a regular maintenance program then absolutely yeah um because you don't have to worry so much about the rolling stock. You can focus all your attention on the the ride mechanism. And, you know, you can take preventative measures. It's it's hard just to just to maintain equipment when it's moving every week. It most 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 equipment gets worse if it sits in storage a long time. There's a difference between sitting in storage and sitting in an amusement park where it's being operated on a regular basis. So I would say most of the time you know if they have a regular maintenance program it's one of those things carnival and amusement park people have argued about over the years they're like you know the, the carnival people their stuff moves every week so they can't pay as much attention to it but uh, the carnival people will say yeah but if it's in a park and you know you don't have a regular maintenance team that's looking out for this stuff it can you know just slowly over time uh get to where it's not in as good a shape anymore so really whether You know, whether you're playing somewhere every week or you're there for for life, like in the big amusement parks, it comes down to dedication to making sure the equipment continues to be safe and and taken care of. And a lot of it is stupid stuff like greasing and packing bearings and uh, replacing motors before they're actually worn out.